Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. We were built for progress, designed for forward. But life, life is full of obstacles, full of challenges. And in challenges, they invite us to pull back, to hold back. They invite us to give up on our dreams. They invite us to settle for average. And average is the death nail for doing the impossible. Well, Pastor Danny Anderson uh, opened up the first part of this series called Unreasonable last week with a powerful message. And let me just begin by encouraging you, if you didn't listen to that ground-laying sermon, please go back and do so. And speaking of Pastor Danny, he and his bride uh, took some personal time to get refreshed, recharged, and they're either tuning in or on their way back. And so I'm just going to ask you in a moment to join me in honoring your pastor. I want you to know he loves you. He loves this city. He loves the loss. He loves Jesus. You've got a great pastor, a great leader. Hey, will you do me? Will you do him an honor? And let's just clap. Thank you, Danny, for what you're doing. Thank you for your leadership. Love to see God moving through this house. And so as I said, he really laid the foundation for this series last week. And the underlying principle on display is this, this reality that to accomplish great things, we have to be a little unreasonable, right? And so this morning in part two, Danny asked me to lean into the concept of how world changers, how unreasonable people approach danger, but before we do, let me introduce myself. My name is Micah McKelvin, and I serve alongside a ministry that you support called Vapor Ministries. And I want you to know that your giving is making a difference in this city, but it's actually making a difference around the world. We have over 570 team members who are advancing the gospel and serving the poorest on earth right now on your behalf. And they're doing so in East Africa, West Africa, and Haiti, and they are, and I am, incredibly thankful for this partnership. I also have my bride here with me today, and our family uh, came last time. Our kids, we wanted to spare your nursery, and so they stayed home this time. But Arrow, my daughter Given, my bride Audrey, uh, on behalf of all of us, my family, our global ministry, we want to start by just saying thank you for our partnership and I also just want to personally say, it's a delight to be at Emmanuel today. Now, I, I'm in Greenwood, obviously, but y'all know we have a bunch of friends and a bunch of different houses. So we want to welcome in our Banta campus, Garfield Park, Franklin, Seymour, the microsites, online. Greenwood, will you help me just welcome them in? Hey, thank you all. We're glad to be family with you. 
one church, many locations. Hey, wasn't worship awesome this morning? The energy, glad to be in the house. If you're glad to be in the house, turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm delighted to see you. Well, Banta, we can't see you over there, but here at Greenwood, most people had two neighbors, and for some reason, you chose one over the other. So now you got to turn to your second choice, and you got to say, you look unreasonable, my friend. Well, well, speaking of unreasonable, unreasonable people, right, world changers, they take a different approach to danger. They see danger differently. They actually see delight in danger. Interesting word, delight. Delight, or the desire for joy or gratification, that desire is actually woven inside of us, right? Built into your internal engine, my internal engine is a desire for happiness, a desire for joy. The problem is there are obstacles in between us and our joy. And one of the main foes is named danger. The truth of the matter is, is that the path to the highest delight leads through the valley of danger. And reality tells us that to gain what we long for, we must pass through the very things we tend to avoid. And in our culture and in our context, we are hardwired for self-preservation. We are hardwired to put personal comfort, a bubble around ourselves, and we don't even realize that we are actually putting ourselves in, a, in a, a place of disadvantage when it comes to experiencing the highest delight. So this morning, we're going to have to do a little bit of reorienting, and the message, the talk, I'm providing three truths, and a talk we'll simply call delight in danger. Now, the first truth is countercultural. Uh, the second truth is going to be a bit challenging. And the third truth, it's where all the goods are at. And so if you're about point two and you're saying, hmm, I don't know, this doesn't feel very good, I want to check out, just hang on all the way to the end. Point three is where the gold is at. So first truth, uh, counterintuitive, it runs against the grain, but it's where we need to start, and it's simply this. Danger doesn't mean don't. Be safe. Take care. Look twice. Come back in one piece. Good advice, I'll admit, right? <laughs> but how about this one? The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. You see, hardwired into our language is this baseline understanding that we should drive at and we should orient our lives around safety. We are weaned to avoid risk. We're nursery rhyme raised to run from danger. And if we're not careful, this subtle myth can actually enter our faith 
and we can come to a place where we believe to be right with God is to pursue safety at all costs. But that's not what we see in the word and it's not what we see in the life of Paul. When we look at Paul, we actually are reminded that in God's economy, danger often means do. So our text this morning is going to be in Acts 20 in the New Testament. Acts 20 and verse 21, our character, Paul. And in Paul, in the life of Paul, you really see a man after he came to faith in Christ who was really dedicated to mission. He was dedicated to fulfilling God's purpose for him. And he really did so amongst two groups, uh, the lost but irreligious Gentiles and then the lost but religious Jews. And so part of his time is pursuing the Gentiles and then part of his time and where we pick up in Acts 20, we see him compelled by God to move into Jerusalem. And we see two things happening simultaneously. We see this compelling desire inside, go to this place, but we also see a warning that increases over and over again, there's danger where you're headed. And so as he heads to Jerusalem, both of those things intensify. And we get to this place in Acts 21 where he meets a prophet, and the prophet's name is Agabus. And clarity is brought by Agabus to the actual danger that is coming. So we pick up in verse 21, and we find this. He, referring to Agabus, came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. So I love to kind of try to get into the text and feel it, and this is what was happening, right? Paul comes up, other believers there, they realize he's trying to go to Jerusalem, and then Agabus kind of does something kind of funny, right? He walks up to Paul and he starts undoing his belt, and then he pulls the belt off, and then he gets down, he wraps it around his hands, and then he wraps it around his feet, and he says, I want to make it very clear to you, Paul, and I want to do so both in word and in illustration. And then from this posture, he goes on to declare what the Spirit said. And he says, so shall the owner of this belt be bound and turned over. Paul, if you continue to move towards danger, you're going to pay a price. Now, what's interesting is Acts 21 also tells us the natural response of those around. And quite honestly, it's very natural and is exactly how I would typically respond. I imagine how most of us would respond. So here's what they say. When we heard this, we and the local believers begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, danger ahead. Paul, danger means don't. And we're really reminded about this reality, this, this almost unseen thing that is, that is almost like woven into like the fabric of the universe, if you will. It's this thought line, it's this equation, it's this hardwired, clad, ironclad mentality that if we're not careful will direct us when it shouldn't. And the equation goes like this. Danger equals don't. Naturally, the spirit, 
the prophet, the people all saw danger. So obviously, don't do it, right? Well, Paul, he begged to differ. And we find his response in verse 13. But Paul, he turns and he says, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for this Jesus. For Paul, he looked at danger differently. While many were were suckling on risk avoidance, Paul was feasting on thy will be done. And I'm not suggesting here that, that we throw caution to the wind. I'm simply reminding us that we should let mission direct our sails. I was on the front side of my journey to Africa. As many of you know, uh, we work in East Africa, West Africa, and Haiti. And on that journey there, I was uh, working on a master's in counseling. I'd actually never been to Africa. And I was searching for what God wanted to do, how he wanted me to to spend life for him. And I started being compelled that that maybe I was supposed to go live in extreme poverty. Maybe we were supposed to do a work there. And and it really honestly didn't make a lot of sense on paper. It really didn't make sense to really anybody around me. And it really didn't even make a lot of sense to me, but I couldn't shake it. And so I called my dad and I, I told him, I said, Dad, I think I may be going to Africa. And my father, and I love my dad, and, and his response was, was, it was a good response, the right response. I'm not knocking on my dad. I understand exactly what he was doing. But my, my father responded on the phone, as you could imagine. Really? I mean, you got your degree. There, there's a bunch of jobs. Like, you're leaving talent on the table. There's, there's opportunity. I mean, there's danger, right? And I left that call and I went home and I pulled out my journal and I put on the top of it 12 reasons why Micah should not go to Africa. Now, by the grace of God, ultimately his spirit won out and he convinced me and the rest is history today. But I want to encourage the person who is working through taking a risk for God, doing something that may not seem to make sense to those around you. I want to encourage you, yes, in the multitude of of much counsel, there is much wisdom. We should get advice. We should count the cost. But at the end of the day, we listen to a singular voice. We follow his word and his word alone. So I want to encourage you here with this simple takeaway. Turn from opinion. Turn from to his voice. So it's important for us to remember that danger doesn't mean don't, but the second truth, I have to be honest with you. I gotta level with you because I would love to jump from, hey, danger doesn't mean don't, and so just follow God and everything is like a bed of thornless roses. But that's not reality. And oftentimes, Danger deals discomfort. So we move back into our story with Paul. Paul leaves the beach. He moves into the city. He's faithfully following through with what God said. He's in Jerusalem. Lies are circulated. 
a mob is formed, and then we find the prophecy begin to be reality. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. Put yourself in those shoes. You're being faithful. You're honoring God. And all of a sudden, here you are, and the beatdown is on. And the doors close. Imagine those gates, bam, alone on the other side with an angry mob that's ready to take you out. Look what they were trying to do. They were trying to kill him. I kind of wonder what Paul was thinking. I wonder if running through his mind is Agabus on the beach and was it worth it? And should I? Should I, should I have listened to those that were saying, don't do it, Paul? And then the situation it takes on a, a whole life of its own. With that intent to kill, it gets so bad that people actually call the Roman officials who come in, they send in help, and as they're trying to help, the mob is just out of control, and we pick it up in this climax moment in verse 35, and it says, as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. For what? For showing the love of God? for desiring that people would be connected to him? Why was this happening to Paul? Why was he experiencing such pain and discomfort for, for doing the right thing? And I just want to pause for a moment. I, I hope that no one in this house is experiencing that kind of trial. But I imagine most people here who are standing for Jesus have experienced some version of discomfort. Maybe you don't have people to talk to anymore because you refused to gossip and you said, I'm gonna do it God's way and just no one wants to talk to you anymore. Maybe you sought to be a witness amongst people who called you friend and now they want nothing to do with you. Maybe your decision to follow Christ has left you ostracized from your family. Maybe your decision to be generous above and beyond looks foolish because now you're running into a difficult time. I don't know what discomfort you may be experiencing for being unreasonable, for going all in, for pursuing God, but here's what I do know. He's with you. He sees you. He's sitting in it. He's standing with you in it. Emmanuel, God with us. But I also wanna just speak more broadly to the reality that there are two kinds of discomfort, right? There is the discomfort that we bring on ourselves because it, it is of our own making, right? You could call it the trial that trails transgression, right? Some amongst you are sick, weak, and even dead because you're refusing to go God's way. And sometimes we're experiencing discomfort because we're actually getting chastisement from God. He's saying, I am helping you. I'm correcting you. Please get back on my path. And if that's you today, if you find yourself in a bad spot, the loving arms of Jesus are waiting, turn, run back to the comforter. He's there. But if you're walking in a valley because you're being faithful, understand he's present, he's near, victory is on the horizon.
And when you can't do anything else, hold fast to the comforter. I was thinking about this message and the opportunity to share with you and my mind's eye went back to this period when I was living in East Africa. We were seeing some great things happen on the ground, but we were still building the center. And I got to partner with this local professional soccer team and provide kind of like uh, chaplain services. And I played college soccer, so I was able to do some things with the goalies. And, and we were doing some great things. It was awesome. And we got invited to play a professional team in an area of the country where animism, uh, voodoo, and witchcraft was normalized, this particular tribe that was common for them. And so we show up at this stadium, and as we come in, there's no security, there's no police, and you're actually able to call the game off if that isn't provided, but we decided, decided to proceed, and, and I went on, out on the field to do my normal stuff, to train the goalies, and, and as I walked on the field, a referee came over because this kind of frenzy started going in the, in the crowd. You could like hear some noise, and the referee came over, and he said, I, I'm going to have to ask you to step off the field. So I know this sounds crazy, but... Before the game, seances were done, charms were laid. There's actually bones placed at the, at the end of the goalpost. And they believe that you have some power to, to counteract their spells. Now, I'm, I, I'm thinking in the moment probably what you're thinking. I was like, well, I've never heard of such a thing. But I was like, okay, well, I'll respect you, no problem. And I stepped off the field. And probably about halfway through the game, this, this wild fight broke out in the crowds. Like, it was a, it was a crazy environment. And we had a small group of fans, it was thousands of people, but a small group of fans, and they literally fled the stadium. So I go at this point to one of the team officials, and I was like, look, I don't feel really good about this. I will personally pay for some buses, park them at the deal. Like, we gotta get everybody out of here as this is over. And he's like, no, 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 you're, you're still getting used. To, this, is, this is okay, everything will be fine. And then the worst thing happened. We won the game. And I remember as that whistle blew, all of a sudden I just saw an army of people just pouring over every crack in the gate and the fence. And me with my brothers and sisters, my African brothers and sisters, we got to the middle of the field and it was an absolute melee. Stones and fists and I almost broke my ribs. And it was, just, it was, it was a crazy scene. And it's an unbelievable, miraculous story that unfolded. I actually write about it. One of the chapters in my book called Dying for Purpose tells the whole thing. I don't have time to, to walk that out. But there was a certain moment that I want to refer to. Because in this scene where it was all crazy, I actually was sure that I was going to die. And it actually made sense to me. I thought, man, this is on national television. And this is why God brought me here. He's going to get some glory and this overwhelming peace in the middle of the mess settled in. It's a peace I couldn't comprehend. It was a comfort that I didn't understand. Everything turned calm. And I refer to that to encourage you in the thick of whatever you're going through. He is with you. Run to him. Turn to him. Hold the comforter through discomfort. Now, I told you it was the last truth that hold, it held the gold, right? That holds the goods. And it is true, danger doesn't mean don't. It is also true that sometimes we pay a price, right? There can be discomfort when you push in. But the third truth, it's the one to take to the bank. It's the motivator. It's what we've all been waiting for. Mark it down Danger delivers delight. So we come back to Paul. Acts 21, verse 40. 
Paul has navigated the temptation not to go in the first place. He said yes. He's dealt with the pain and this discomfort for pressing in and following God. And he escapes barely with his life. He comes to the top of the steps and then we see the scripture unfold. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. So he had talked with the guards that were pulling him up. They were trying to rescue him and get him out. And where Micah would have been like, hey, we just escaped that. Hey, guards, get me out of the house. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. I mean, y'all had to, I was gonna tell you about Jesus, but forget y'all. Like, y'all just almost took my life. I'm gone, right? Instead of running from that danger, Paul does something crazy. Paul gets to the top of those steps. He silences the crowd. And then he begins to share the love of Jesus with them. He addresses them. And then the, the subsequent verses tell us the message he gave. Why? Why would Paul do that to the very people that were just trying to take his life? I submit to you that Paul was walking in a moment of joy that is hard for us to comprehend. Heaven is smiling on him. Navigating all of this, he looks out and with compassion and love, he sees people that he understood because at one point he was trying to take out Christians. And he looks out and he says, I came for this moment. I'm feeling the warmth of heaven and I will stand here and in delight, I will share with you the very hope that will set you free. And there's a reminder that God grants us an element of delight and joy in this life that is hard to comprehend when we commit to his way even in trial. The good life, the abundant life, is the life walking in God's design. It is the life that brings good to others. It is the life that brings glory to God. But it is the life that brings a sense of satisfaction and completion. And I can pillow my head. And even when there's trouble, I know that he is honored. And I feel the warmth of God in my life. Delights. And I can tell you, I can bet that Paul was experiencing that because Paul communicated before this ever happened that he was, it was worth it, that he was all in. Look what he says in Acts 20. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord. And what was that work? That work was doing the thing he was taking delight and joy in. That work was telling others the good news. And so he stood on those stairs and he said, no matter what you do to me, I have a joy that I'm walking in and I wanna offer that to you and that delight, that love for God and people transformed everything about his steps, his feet, his hands, his human experience on this earth. It was Paul who said, I count it all joy when I face various trials because there's something happening that is bigger, that is beyond. It was Paul who said, to live is Christ, to die is gain, which leads us to the other thing he was delighting in. He wasn't taking just delight and the endorphins kicking in in the moment. He was taking delight in the fact that he was storing up treasure. 
He was sowing into future reward. See, Paul understood that future delight is incentivized by present sacrifice. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at what he said in 2 Corinthians. Paul made the connection in the case to what, what was coming. He connected what was happening to what was coming. Let's look at it. He says, for our light and momentary troubles, pause. Paul, I don't call the beat down, right? The smack down, right? The dragging. Yeah, I don't call that light and momentary, but okay, we'll roll with you. For our light and momentary troubles are doing what? They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul's standing in this moment realizing that something greater is happening, something beyond is coming, that it will be worth it. Paul understood the dot and the line. You see, the dot is this life. It's like a vapor. If we get 80 to 100 years, we're fortunate. But the line, the line is 23 trillion years and beyond that we experience eternal life after the dot. And Paul is simply saying, I am thinking about the trillions and trillions and trillions of years after this. I am looking towards a delight. I'm looking towards a joy. I'm looking towards rewards. I'm looking towards treasures. I'm looking towards crowns. I'm looking towards well done. And therefore, this life is thought of in contrast and in context of what is coming ultimately. And Paul fixed his eyes on that. And he admonished us to do the same. He literally said, so fix your eyes, fix our eyes, not on what is seen, not on the peril, not on the danger, not on the discomfort, not on that which seems unreasonable. He said, but on what is unseen, the coming day, the coming opportunity, the coming glory, the coming reward, the coming treasure, the bema seat, the opportunities that are ahead. He said, fix on that the promises of God, the inheritance of God. True delight, true riches, something that moth and rust cannot steal. Paul is in heaven now, and he's not looking back, regretting Acts 21. He is experiencing the fullness of delight, saying, I would do it again because I am experiencing the full joy of that suffering. And so the word, the encouragement, the reminder to us are we living for the dot? Are we living for the line? And I just want to encourage you for a moment to just ask yourself and your own set of circumstances, where is God calling you to be a little unreasonable? Where is danger keeping you from walking in the fullness of his calling and missing out on delight designed for you in this life and the life to come? Maybe it's time to step into the danger and join the impact team. <laughs> Maybe it's time to set aside what people say or think and get bolder with the gospel in the workplace. Maybe it's time to realize that, hey, the tithe is the floor, not the ceiling, and you have an opportunity, and I have an opportunity to be generous and advance the kingdom of God in such a way that it impacts this world but actually matters for us and for them in eternity. I don't know what it looks like. 
But if he's calling you to be a little bit unreasonable, I encourage you, lean in. I encourage you, fix your eyes on a coming delight. I was in East Africa in a particular point. It was still within that first year, and we were working in an area that there was so much hurt and so much challenge, beautiful, amazing people going through so much. And I went in with this sense of you know, hope and optimism and there was gonna be a great change, but at this particular po- point, I, 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 I honestly could just see the trial. I could honestly just see the pain. I'd seen a lot of dead bodies. I saw the slum. And every day, 300,000 people trying to survive on less than $1.25 a day. And their pain and their struggle and the overwhelming obstacle, the dream started to go dim. And one particular morning, I came very early and I sat on this little step overlooking the slum and I just said, God, I can't do it anymore. I don't see it anymore. I was giving up. I was ready to get the ticket and come home 17 years ago. And I sat in that moment and against my feelings and emotions, I began to press into the word. I began to press into some old songs my mom had taught me. Worship when I didn't feel like it began to come up and something happened. Like the comforter entered. An other world energy and motivation began to revive me and I literally went from like I'm ready to give up to like you know what we can do this. And about that time some of my amazing brothers and sisters began to come in and now I'm like I'm encouraged, I'm excited, I'm seeing the delight again and I, I, I said sit down, sit down. And I said look out, what do you see? I said, we see the dump. We see the pain. I said, no, no, close your eyes. I said, look again. The vision is coming to reality. A place that your hands help build is coming into fruition. Children, youth, and adults are participating in relevant disciple-making outreach. The gospel is coming out. But poverty alleviation is happening. Food and water and and services that are transforming. Economic development is happening. Lives are being touched. People are being changed. And I said, open your eyes. What do you see? And they said, the center? And I said, no, you. You are there serving at this place. You are transforming the next generation. And faith family, as I stand here, that's exactly what's happening there. Hundreds of thousands of people by the grace of God are being served through amazing brothers and sisters who drink the water, speak the language, understand the culture, and on your behalf are transforming lives. And we're making sure that food, water, education, and health services are transforming the community. Small businesses are creating economic impact. Delight is being had. Lives are being transformed. Eternity is being transformed. Heaven is being populated. God is getting glory. You are on mission and your giving is going. The arms of Jesus is reaching and by the grace of God, the impact that you're having right now is otherworldly. And I submit to you, there is delight beyond the danger. I submit to you that both in this life and the life to come, 
a life laid down, a life offered to him, a life saying, come what may, we will serve you, is a life that will ultimately be filled with little regret. And so I encourage you to fix your eyes. See him. See that day. See what could be. Be a little unreasonable. And when you're discouraged, gaze at the light that outshines the danger. You see, in the life of Paul, we have a great example, a compelling one. But ultimately, Paul invites us to follow him as he follows Christ. And it's in Christ that we see the ultimate example. Because Christ looked at the danger, but saw the delight beyond it. Christ, he saw the whip with nine tails. Christ saw the crown of thorns. Christ was not unaware of the hill before him that was shaped like a skull. He clearly saw the iron spikes. Christ saw the cross. But Hebrews says that beyond it, he took the light. Because of the joy, because of the, the, the delight awaiting him, he endured the danger, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor with God. Now he's experiencing the fullness of that delight and joy. And I submit to you this morning that Jesus took delight in the glory of God, the coming glory, but Jesus looked and saw past the danger and took delight in you. The Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. And if you are a child of God today, the word of encouragement is simple. Delight, delight in the danger. See past it, be faithful. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I ask you to fix your eyes on him. His eyes are on you. He sees you. He paid your and my price. He loves you. I ask you to see the Lamb of God who was slain for you and I. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, Micah, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me, to give your life to him today. But I would love to know who I'm praying with. And so if that's you, will you just slide your hand up? Just say, Mike, I, I want to give my life to Christ. Just slide your hand up. I'd love to know who I'm praying with. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else here today? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Today's the day. Give your life to Christ. No magic words, but let me pray with you. God, I need you. And I call out to you. I confess my sin before you. But today I place my trust in you. I give my life to you. I ask you to be Savior and Lord. 
Hey, Emmanuel, let's give a round of applause for all of those who have stepped towards Jesus. And if that's you this morning, if you've made that decision, please text SAVED to 65248. The teams have a gift for you and some next steps. And as we round out our time today, we do have a book for you if you'd like it. It's called Dying for Purpose. It's got amazing stories and principles. All the proceeds go to the ministry. I don't get anything out of it. I wanted to make that available to you. And lastly, if you want to stay connected with the ministry, you can follow us on our social channels. Hey, as the teams come to take the service back over and close, let me just say a final prayer over you. God, we love you. We thank you for your work in and through the church. God, I thank you for those gathered, those tuning in. God, help us to see you past the danger. Help us, Father, to take delight in laying it down for you. You are awesome. You are holy. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you, Emmanuel. A privilege to be with you.